Hey there, fellow nerd. Welcome to Pop Nerd Lounge, the podcast for the creative soul. If you're new here, thanks for joining our cozy spot on the podcast space. We love having conversations with fellow creatives in hopes to inspire you. If you want to be a part of the conversation, chat with us on Instagram and Twitter at Pop Nerd Lounge. We'd love to know what you think. Today's guest comes to us from the Bay Area of California. While she had the opportunity to join the corporate world, she discovered it wasn't the right fit for her. After relentless hard work and a drive to own her own business, she found Maven's Creamery, a confection startup of macaron ice cream sandwiches. On this episode, we talk about the learning curve of owning a business, what it's like to partner with family, and she gives out some great advice to budding entrepreneurs. Please welcome my guest, Gwen Wynn. Welcome to Popner Lounge. My guest today is Gwen Wynn. Gwen, thank you so much for joining me on my show. Thanks for having me, Stephanie. I'm excited to be here. Uh, I'm excited to have you and to chat with you about Maven's Creamery, all things Maven's Creamery. While we start at the beginning of your journey, before Maven's Creamery was even a thing, paint me a visual of what your life was like in the corporate world and what inspired you to make that switch to want to become an entrepreneur. Yeah, so prior to Maven's Creamery, I was a jack of all trades, you can say. I was working at Google in the corporate world, and um, I just wasn't really happy. I, I wasn't happy with where was I was at. And looking around me, commuting to work, I saw other commuters to my left and to my right, and it just didn't seem like they were very happy commuting to work as well. And I knew I wasn't the only one. Even though corporate is great, but it's not great for everyone. Um, corporate's not a bad thing. However, I just knew that it wasn't for me. So shortly after working at Google, I decided to venture into an, another path, which was uh, a startup. And I've always wanted to work in a startup. I wanted to experience startup life where I was doing technical recruiting uh, for all the tech companies in the Silicon Valley. And shortly after that, I still wasn't content with where I was. So I got into retail management within the cosmetics industry. I worked at Mac Cosmetics for a solid amount of years and I still wasn't content with where I was in my life. Um, I knew that I always wanted to have a business and entrepreneurship was just instilled in me from a, at a very young age because my father was an entrepreneur. And when I was growing up, we had an import export business, which we imported, where we imported uh, dry cleaning commodities from overseas. Uh, most of the commodities came from Southeast Asia until a tariff had actually hit and didn't allow us to continue doing business in the US anymore with those countries. 
So here I am, you know, after corporate, after startup, after being in retail management, you know, putting my feet in the waters and a little bit of everywhere, I decided that I am going to start a business and I'm a huge, huge foot, I'm a huge, huge foodie. I knew that I wanted to create something that was within the food industry. And so I started to travel and I started to get inspired. And that's how the macaron ice cream came about. I came down to LA where it's just so innovative with different types of foods. LA, New York, hands down, obviously the metropolitan cities, they really do start food trends. So I traveled down to LA and I came across a food boutique that a had a macaron ice cream sandwich. So, or a product similar to a macaron ice cream sandwich. So I inquired to the owner about a franchising opportunity and unfortunately, they rejected me. But fortunately, they also rejected me. But Well, fortunately, because they rejected me, I decided to go home and just do it myself. Um, went straight to my sister and I told her that I'm going to start a macaron ice cream business. And she didn't really take me seriously at first because she was like, ha ha, this is just one of your many crazy ideas. And until she saw that I was day in and day out practicing on how to bake macarons, practicing on how to make ice cream, that's when she took me a little bit more seriously. And this is during the time that I was still working full-time in retail management. So I would call her on my way home from work after my eight to 10 hour shift. And I would say, hey, can you measure me some almond flour? Can you crack some eggs for me? I'm on the way home right now and I need to get straight to baking. I don't have a lot of time. I was racing for time. I felt as if there was a clock that was ticking where I had to launch this business. And so, after she saw how relentless and adamant I was about creating this business, um, she decided to join me and she said, hey, well, you know, I'm not in a place where I'm really happy with my life either. Why don't you make the macarons? Why don't you learn how to make the macarons? And I will make the ice cream. And I said, sure, why not? So we partnered up and how we were able to learn how to make macaron ice cream sandwiches was through Google and YouTube. We didn't have a lot of resources um, back then. We didn't have money to put ourselves into culinary school to learn how to make macarons and how to make ice cream. So I would go on YouTube, Christine would Google how to make ice cream, and we practiced day in and day out for about nine months until we finally were able to perfect our recipe. So that was really, really exciting. And at first we were thinking about starting a retail and not a manufacturer. We know nothing about manufacturing. Um, so it was, it was interesting because we actually launched by accident. So a friend of ours had a, a drink specialty shop, one of those boba shops, right? And he said, hey, I'm having a grand opening and I would like to have your product during the grand opening 
And so we said, yeah, why not? That's a good way to test a concept, right? So it took Christine, which is my sister, my mom and my dad, about a month to make 300 macaron ice cream sandwiches in our garage. Uh, this is, you know, after we, we upgraded to our garage. We first started off in my parents' home kitchen. Uh, and then after that, we upgraded, quote unquote, upgraded to our garage. And it was awesome because my dad was an electrical engineer by trade. And he configured our garage into somewhat of a commercial kitchen. Obviously not legit, not compliant. Um, we probably violated every single health and fire code there was possible, but hey, you gotta start off somewhere, right? So it took us about a month to make 300 macaron ice cream sandwiches. And during this time, we were super old school in the sense where we were using cookie cutters to cut and crank out the ice cream. So that was, you know, definitely the Flintstone age for us there when we first started off. But it was one of the most funnest experiences and times I've ever had, which is, you know, when we're making ice cream out of our parents' garage. And so after we made 300 ice cream, macaron ice cream sandwiches, we delivered it to our friend's store on the day of his grand opening. Um, we were just crossing fingers literally crossing fingers, hoping that the ice cream would not melt from our house to our friend's shop, which was about an hour away. We didn't know about dry ice back then yet. So we were delivering in these cold packs and just crossing fingers, hoping that it would make it in one piece. So there we were, we dropped it off or dad dropped it off. And we just said, well, you know, we hope this thing goes well. It was a, a way and a, a proof of us being able to see concept testing at the time. And four hours later, the sh owner of the shop called us and said, hey, look, we're sold out, we need another shipment. And that's when my sister and I looked at each other and we said, oh my God, that was our aha moment. That was our aha moment in the sense of this is the product. And so we looked at each other and we said, how are we going to crank out another 300 units within the next couple of days? We didn't know how we were going to do that, but we knew that we had to get to work. So we went straight to the garage, started baking from scratch, started making ice cream right away, called all of our friends and family over to help us so that we'd be able to meet the demand. And slowly through word of mouth, one mom and pop shop to another mom and pop shop heard about us and that's how we're able to break into the independent retailer market and um you know that's that's how we pretty much started off just hearing that i'm just so inspired i, I remember hearing it from like shark tank but just like the journey from an idea and just starting it out in your kitchen to like what you have now just it's so motivational tell me about that development phase i feel when entrepreneurs start out it's such a learning curve so how did you adapt and how did you learn to take yourself from one step 
of your path to the next? How are you navigating that whole developmental phase, even though you didn't have a culinary background or you weren't very sure where your macaron business was going to go? You navigate as you go. It's so true when people say being an entrepreneur is just like jumping off a plane and trying to build a parachute along the way. It definitely was not easy for me to learn how to bake macarons because I did not have that technical background that was very much needed. And I didn't have that solid technical background where I was able to understand the science behind baking. Um, making ice cream is a little bit more easier than baking macarons. I mean, I, I think it's definitely fair to say that macarons is the most challenging and difficult cookie or confection you can make in the universe. That's not an understatement. And so there would be a lot of times where we would get hit with variables. And what those variables did was it did not allow us to produce a product that we were happy with. Um, for example, California had a, a drought a couple of years ago and there was a shortage in almond flour and almond flour was dry. So it didn't yield the result that we needed. So we had to take a look to see how we're able to diagnose you know, the problem at hand. Another instance was you know, there was a bird flu <laughs> just a couple of years ago as well and there was a shortage with egg whites and that really affected the quality of the product because there was just simply not enough good quality egg whites that were being sold during the time that we first started off. So what we did was we I had to run to Target and Walmart to buy all the egg white cartons I could find, test it out. If it didn't work, dump it. I don't know how many thousands of pounds of almond flour that I've, I've thrown away. But it was important to me to be able to yield a, a great quality product because if you don't have uh, a, a repeated, if you don't have repeated sales, if you don't have customers coming back, repeated customers coming back for your product, then you don't have a product. That's what I truly believe. And so there would be nights where I would literally just pull my hair and I would have breakdowns and I would tell Christine, I would run downstairs and I would tell Christine in the garage to come upstairs and just calm me down, talk me through it, rationalize with me because I did not know what to do. And she was a really good supporting partner where she was like, okay, hey, listen, you know, I, I know that the almond flour is not turning out the way that you want. You know, the egg whites are not producing the meringue that you want, but listen, we, we, we got this. We're going to diagnose it. We're going to figure out what we can do to troubleshoot this issue one by one. And that really is so, that's the only thing that I can really ask for in a partner. It's really when shit hits the fan, you know, who's going to be there for you when you need them and who's going to help make you more clear headed so that you can fix the problem and the issues at hand. Um, it, it definitely was not a rosy, it wasn't always rosy in the garage. And we had issues where our freezers would break down because our electrical setup, even though my dad's an electrical engineer, 
ironically, it, we just had so much power running through the house, you know, it would break down one by one. And so what we did was we started to plant freezers in the living room, the family room, the backyard. So that way we can diversify the amount of electricity going to each outlet. And so our house was just planted full of freezers and commercial equipment so that we can still be operational. Something that I think a lot of people who aren't familiar with the entrepreneur world is they kind of see this as like an overnight thing. Oh, I'm just gonna drop everything and I'm gonna be like a success overnight, but it's totally far from the truth. How did you navigate that journey of, hey, I want that from that aha moment, like, hey, we want this to become a business. How did you take that step and take it to where you're now wanting to upscale, you want to expand? How did you take that next leap from your aha moment? Well, from our aha moment, we knew that we needed to get some investors and some active partners that would be able to help us scale our business and introduce this amazing product to the rest of the Bay Area and further on. So we got in touch with two investors three months after we launched the first store. And what they had told us was, we will invest in your business if you take the manufacturing route and not to the retail route. So we thought about it and we said, that's, that's interesting. We were thinking retail this whole time but it made sense going manufacturing because in order to scale and scale fast, it seemed right that manufacturing was the way to go due to not having to open multiple retail shops and slowly do that. Whereas with manufacturing, we're able to leverage the independent retailers, leverage the grocery chains such as Safeway, Whole Foods, and have them carry our product where they already have an existing retail store. So we moved forward with the manufacturing route, even though all of us never been in manufacturing before. And it's not like a franchise where you're given some sort of guidebook and say, okay, here's what you need to do in order to open a franchise or a retail store. With manufacturing, we came in blindly really and how we're able to figure out what we needed to do to be up to code, to be compliant, um, to do things the right way and not the garage way was to go down to the city hall, to reach out to the CDFA, California Department of Food and Agriculture. Whatever we didn't know, we found a way to find a contact person so that we can get the answer. And I think the thing with entrepreneurship is that you don't have to know everything, but you have to know who to go to in order to get the answers you want or need. And so it took us about two years, two, almost two and a half, two to two and a half years from the garage to actually being able to open our own plant due to getting the right permits, finding a building, making sure that we negotiate the lease right. Um, and making sure that we're compliant all around so that we can be operational. Tell me about your journey on Shark Tank. How did the idea to pitch on Shark Tank come about? And what was your experience like going on that show? Especially like something that not a lot of people are familiar with is valuation. How did you come up with your valuation? And explain it to people who might not be familiar with that. 
Right, so Shark Tank was definitely one of the most interesting things I've ever done or been on. The whole process was about a year and a half from going out to pitch to the casting crew all the way to when we actually aired on TV. So uh, my fiance knew that I was looking for investors because we needed more automated equipment so that we can meet demand and scale the business even further. And this is when we were already at our facility we're in today. And so he texted me a photo, or actually, I'm sorry, let me backtrack here a little bit. He said, hey, I have five investors for you, and they're all lined up within the next couple of days. So I was like, what, really? So I said, I, I replied back and I said, who are they? And he texted me a flyer with a picture of the five sharks indicating that there was a casting audition in Vegas within the next couple of days. And so I just replied back and I said, haha, you're funny. You know, I, I really need in real investors here. And he said, well, what are you talking about? They are real investors. And so I thought about it for a moment and it just hit me. And I said, well, why not? What do we got to lose? So I told Christine, I said, hey, we got to go to Vegas. We got to pitch to the casting crew and it's within the next couple of days. And she's like, you know, it's a far shot and I just don't think it's a good idea given the amount of time that we have to actually prepare for everything. But I eventually convinced her enough and I said, you know, we worst comes to worst, if we go there and they don't accept us, then so be it. We have nothing to lose. But if we go there and we're actually able to move on to the next level and actually make it, then that would be something amazing. So she was convinced and we completed all the paperwork that was needed, which is literally a stack this thick. And we flew out to Vegas, practiced our pitch in our hotel room for one night and woke up 4 a.m. the next day to be the first ones in line and essentially pitched to the casting crew. We, we didn't pitch to the sharks right away. We pitched to the casting crew first. And if they think that we're qualified enough and our business is interesting enough, then they would move, on, move us on to the next level. So seven days later, I got a call from the person that actually casted our, our interview or whatever you can call it. And he said, hey, I want you to move on to the next step. And so we were so excited. We were jumping up and down for joy. And it was amazing because when we actually pitched to him in Las Vegas, he tried a product and he said, wait a minute, I actually know your product. And we were like, what? No way, how? So he used to live about 15 minutes away from San Jose. And he said, I had your product at a Safeway before. I know exactly what this is. So before we could even finish our pitch, we got interrupted and he was just really interested in our story and started asking us a bunch of questions. I think that's a good thing. Typically, if they don't even let you finish your pitch, I think you're doing something right. So he's the person that called us seven days later and told us that he wanted us to move forward to the next steps. Mind you, there's uh, there could be 30 different rounds in Shark Tank depending on 
on each level of, of interviews and applications and all that good stuff associated with being on Shark Tank. And so after he gave us the news, we haven't heard from anyone for about nine months and just went completely dry. So we said, I guess they didn't really want us to move forward. And oh, well, you know, at least we tried. And if it didn't work out, it didn't work out. But I decided to give them one last follow-up uh, email. And in the email, I asked them about our status to see if we were going to move on to the next round, what's going on, you know, we haven't heard from you guys. And so they actually rep replied back the same day and they said, actually, we want you to fly to LA within the next two weeks so that you can pitch to the Sharks. And we we're like, what? Well, thanks for the heads up. <laughs> so we flew out to LA in the next two weeks, really got all of our numbers together, prepared ourselves as much as possible so that we can pitch to the Sharks. And after we pitched to the Sharks, we obviously striked a, a deal, a handshake deal with Barbara and started doing due diligence for the next couple of months before we actually got aired. And how we're able to come up with our valuation was due to our sales and our book of business during that time. So um, our business obviously changed from the time that we first started pitching to the casting crew all the way to when we got aired. And we just barely wrapped up 1.3 million in sales right after we pitched to, um, to Barbara and we're able to calculate our valuation with the current revenue that was given at that time. So how has that show impacted your business and how has it either expanded, grown, or did it increase awareness of your products? How has that affected your business after appearing on the show? And are you still in business with Barbara? Um, we definitely received a lot of exposure from Shark Tank. Um, majority of the business that we received was through B2B, uh, more so than direct to consumer. Our goal was to launch, well, not our goal, we did launch. We, so we launched our e-commerce sector after Shark Tank. Um, where we would be able to ship nationwide to customers all over the U.S., with exception of Hawaii. And um, we, we had that going for a while, but what we found was that the cost of shipping ice cream through dry ice and special insulated packaging was astronomical. And not a lot of consumers were willing to pay $100 for, you know, macaron ice cream sandwich. Uh, a lot of consumers wanted to try it, but $100 was pretty hefty for trying a product for a first time. So we realized that it didn't work out quickly, and what we did was we wanted to stop the bleeding, and we just totally eliminated e-commerce. Um, not that we don't want to have this revenue or this this um, this new revenue added, but it just it did not make sense for our business because the main drive and the main engine of our business was B2B. It is selling to independent retailers and grocery chains, uh, the big box chains out there. It's worked well for us, so we're, we're definitely going to continue staying with that. Um, in terms of Barbara, so after going through due diligence, uh, the day before we actually aired, she responded to us stating that she did not want to move forward with the deal because of 
the high price point of the macaron ice cream sandwich. And I believe that she indicated that this was a business that she thought was a capital heavy. And for that reason, she did not want to move forward in which we were okay with as well, because um, at that time, our valuation, at the time we pitched to her, our, our valuation was a, a certain figure, right? And right before we aired, uh, our valuation was also different as well due to having more businesses and adding on more grocery chains and an increase in sales. So it all worked out. One question that I have is that your sister is your business partner. What's it like working with family and does it get sticky sometimes or are you guys able to keep that professional? It definitely gets sticky sometimes. When we first started the business, uh, we you know, had fallouts, we had fights, um, not physical fights, but we, we weren't always in agreement with everything. And I think it's, we can, today we can agree to disagree, but it wasn't always that way. Um, when we first started off the business, it was, and it still is our baby, but we were, per, we were both particular about everything. And after getting an understanding of how different we are with each other, we're able to be able to come to means with settling and, um, what's that word I'm looking for? Compromise. So we don't let it get to us. There's just so many things going on in our business on a daily basis and it's constantly changing. We just can't possibly run a business and scale the business if we're going to let everything get to us. So we've separated our roles and responsibilities clearly. And so that way we don't butt heads or we don't have too many opinions on one particular topic. If it's regarding sales or new customers, customer relationship, that's something that I would take care of. If it's regarding operations, she would take care of that. So, you know, it's, being able to clearly de define what our roles and responsibilities are and who has ownership over it really, really helps us not disagree as much as we did before. But it, it you know, it's, it's hard to separate family. Um, it's hard to separate personal and, and business and be, I mean, your personal relationship and your professional relationship. Even though we always say, you know, you're not my sister when we're at work, you're my business partner. But in reality, she still is my sister. I still talk to her like she's my sister, but it's different now in the sense where I, I give her the respect level as a professional, but also the support of a sister, which is what she's given me in the beginning. And I, I think that definitely goes vice versa. What, something that I connected with you in your journey is that you're first generation Vietnamese American and how you wanted to carry on your father's legacy and entrepreneurship. That was really inspiring to me. So have you met other Asian American entrepreneurs throughout this venture? And if so, what's that like? What's it like connecting with that community if you have? To be honest with you, I haven't much. I've connected with other first generation, not necessarily Vietnamese, business owners, but they they were more relevant with my industry in in terms of suppliers and vendors, but I haven't really gone, gone out there to meet with other 
Vietnamese Americans like myself um, that are entrepreneurs, but I hope to be able to do that and form some sort of community in the near future when we have bandwidth. If you had to give a piece of advice to entrepreneurs who are just starting out, like what's something that you wish you knew at the beginning that you would be able to tell them? This is very generic and it sounds very much like the Nike logo, but just do it. Even, even if you don't know what you're doing, that's okay. You'll figure it out along the way. There are plenty of things that I did not know and I still don't know, and that's okay as well. So long as you know I'm able to be resourceful and figure it out. Hopefully figure it out faster, sooner than later. But we've, Mavens is certainly a garage story that is seen as successful. However, we've had plenty of failures along the way. Um, but we failed and we failed fast. That was the key thing. And because we failed fast, we were able to pick up fast as well. So um, a, a, an advice and a, a recommendation is definitely fail, fail fast. Don't let your fear overcome your drive and take the leap and just do it. Gwen, this has been an absolutely wonderful chat. Let the people know where they can connect with you on social media, where they can connect with uh, Maven's Creamia, and where they can find the product. Yeah, so you guys can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook. Um, definitely go to our website to find our store locator, www.mavenscreamia.com. Um, personally, yeah, I'm not, <laughs> unfortunately, I'm not very active on social media. We do have... Thankfully, we have people that take care of that now because I'm not so good at it, but um, our fans, our customers can definitely find us through Instagram, Facebook, and our website. Wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on to my show, Gwen. I had such a pleasure speaking with you. Likewise. Thanks for having me. Gwen's display of diligence and devotion to her dream really motivated me. Oftentimes, we are afraid of the failure part of working towards our dreams. Success or failure, if we don't try, we'll never know. If you liked this episode or want to find out about Maven's Creamery, visit the link in the show notes. Popner Lounge is executive produced by Steph Pham and V. Co. V serves as the producer and creative director, and Steph Pham is the host and the show's editor. For all things Popner Lounge, visit our website, popnerlounge.com. Thanks for joining us for a conversation for creatives by creatives. We hope you tune in next time for Popner Lounge. I'm Steph Pham. <laughs>